You're listening to the DC Real Estate Podcast, the podcast where we focus exclusively on all things local to the DMV area. Local investors, local knowledge, local experts. Our journey starts now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to this week's episode of the DC Real Estate Podcast. My name is Russell Brazil. I am an associate broker with Arla Properties. And I am Sarah Frank. I am an agent in DC and Maryland, also on the District of Best Group with Russell. And this week we have a special guest with us. So we're going to talk about what's probably the many people think is the least sexiest part of uh, real estate, but perhaps one of the most important parts. Thanks, guys. So we got Morgan with us. Morgan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name is Morgan Berry, and I'm a licensed title agent in Maryland, D.C. and Virginia at Legacy Settlements. And I'm also studying to become a real estate attorney, which I'm very excited about. Yes, future lawyer. Yes. Good friend to have. <laughs> I'm going to need her. Yeah. So I always say title sort of the least sexy part, right? So when we when we spend lots of money on a kitchen, we get immediate gratification. We're like, wow, we got an awesome kitchen here. We spend money on a bathroom. We've got a amazing, you know, bathroom to look at and enjoy. Uh, when we buy title insurance, we just get a piece of paper. That's not sexy though. Yeah. It's been a big, um, a big line in our Alta. Yeah. Big line item. So yeah, a lot so, of people, I think it's a black box title. You give money, you close your eyes and you wake up at closing and it's yeah. all good. So every, we know in Baltimore, that's not always the case. So not everyone even understands what title insurance is. So Give us the rundown. What is title insurance? So title insurance protects the title investing of your ownership in the property. Um, there's two policies. There's lender and owners. Lenders is what protects the lender from being able to foreclose on you, basically. Mm -hmm. So, And then for owners, that's protecting you from someone coming on your doorstep and being like, hey, I actually own your house, um, prevents any errors and mistakes done by the courthouse, which you mentioned Baltimore City, and they're notorious for mm -hmm. making mistakes. And then um, any any liens or judgments or any money that attaches to the property, you're not at fault for that. Okay, so I mentioned Baltimore, greatest, greatest city <laughs> in the union. They have a little bit of a record-keeping issue. What are some little fun stories you have to tell. The from worst Baltimore. one was they legitimately lost a deed. Oh. I've had that happen. I've had <laughs> deeds get lost. Where did it, where did it go? And it, and we actually had to submit it in person because it was an out of state seller deed. And those have to be still recorded in person. Like you don't e-record them. And so we had someone run to the courthouse and give it to them as like with the instrument and everything. And then they somehow lost it. So we had to re-record. They don't have like a Xerox somewhere? Is it only originals? This is how ignorant I am about title. <laughs> um, oh, no, no, no. Like We can print out a new deed, yeah, and okay. re-record it. But they were trying to sell the property, and that's when the issue came up. Right, right. And so the title company on the buyer's end buying the property was like, okay, well, we need to reach out to the title company who did the sale. Mm -hmm. And so we followed up with Baltimore. And we had like a receipt and everything showing they accepted it. We were like, you lost it? And they are like... Yeah, we can't find it anywhere. It's not in records. And I'm like, okay, I guess we'll just resubmit the deed. Gosh, how much does that delay things? 
Um, oh, well, luckily we were able to like simultaneously record it with the new deed. So like we submitted that deed with the deed that the other title company was putting on. So okay. we did it at the same time. So but. I love that story because just a few weeks ago, this happened to me. We were buying a property that had recently, recently been purchased. So the deed had not been recorded, had also been physically taken to the county recorder's office and then went into a black hole for weeks and they lost it. And I kept saying the, in this case, the buyer had chosen a very specific title company. I don't know why they chose them. And I said, well, we can just double record the Mm -hmm. deed. We can record the new one and the old one at the same time. And this particular title company refused to do that for some unknown reason. Um, So it's interesting that you guys did that and you had a solution to the, to this problem. Yeah, and the other title company on the buyer's end was fine with it, too. So maybe that's also, like, both title companies need to be okay with that. Or if it's the same title company who did the sale, then clearly it'll be fine. But mm-hmm. So let's go back to the explanation of what title insurance is. You sort of gave us the whole rundown there. Um, let's put it into layman's terms. So what, so what does it protect against? So you mentioned liens um, and lawsuits. Um, so let's explain some typical title defects. The most common one that I see several times a month, unfortunately, is, um, when you pay off the previous loan of the seller, so that gets done at closing, there's a release that needs to be recorded with the government so that when you refinance or sell the property, it is shown legally that it's been released and no one owes that mortgage anymore. The problem is that document does not end up getting recorded for whatever reason. It could be it went into a black hole and disappeared. It could be that it was never mailed originally. Um, what have you, it got lost in the mail. And people don't follow up on these lien releases until they refinance or sell the property and title gets pulled. So that I see all the time. So no re- lien release. So if there was... Let's just make up numbers, $500,000 property, and there's a $300,000 mortgage on it, and the lien release doesn't get recorded. So you go to sell your property, and now when the title attorney's searching, they're like, oh, you owe $300,000 on this house, and they're like, no, I don't. So then you file a title insurance claim. Yes. So if you bought title insurance, you just need to provide the policy or the policy number to the title company or attorney who's doing the search, and we move right along. Um, you actually don't need to file a physical claim. Um, physical claims are when there's like a lawsuit or something pending that cannot be fixed. But in this case, it's a prior owner. Um, it, it's not a big deal. We can just kind of move along. Now, if you didn't get title insurance, then I have to become an FBI detective and track down who the lien holder is. If they got sold or bought by another company, who the servicer are, like it ends up becoming a trail yeah. of... You're good at that, though. Like, I think I get up early. By the time I get up, Morgan's already sent eight emails. (laughs) My inbox is full. She's searching something. Someone's confused. I'm always confused asking questions. (laughs) Title to me is perplexing. It's like taxes. It's beyond me one day. Yeah, I mean, I'm a pretty smart guy, and it's pretty beyond me to all the intricacies of it. I have an example. Actually, it's pretty funny. It was recent, and it's a wholesale transaction, which are not my favorite to do. And I know you guys don't like them either. But um, but, and when you're title, you kind of just get thrown the deal, and I just I say yes. I'm a nice person, so I'm like, sure, I'll do it. And um, 
the guy had used his house as collateral for an investment in a daycare and kept arguing with me about the unreleased deed of trust. And I'm like, no, I mean, I'm looking at the government document. And then like a few days later, he like talked to his wife and he was like, oh yeah, you're right. We did do that, but we paid it off. And I was like, well, there's no lien release. And so they put me in contact with a woman that they consulted to try and get this done, who got me in touch with the attorney's office. And then the attorney's office finally told me that they would draft up a release and get it signed. And that took like a couple days. And then lo and behold, like later that day, I got an email with the lien release. So we were able to record it, but. It's a really important, I think, to dig into this distinction. So that person provides you a title insurance policy if they have it, boom, it's taken care of. Um, But I think a lot of people don't understand the distinction between owner's title insurance and lender's title insurance. I don't, so. (laughs) Continue. <laughs> so tell That's us, uh, let's dig into this. So let's talk about why one protects one person and the yeah. other product protects the other person. So first off, the lender's title insurance is required. Yep. Owners is optional, even though highly, highly recommended. Mm-hmm. Um, but the lenders, it just protects the lender's title and deed of trust on you. So when you sign your closing documents, you sign a bunch of paperwork and there's a note in a deed of trust. The note is the promise that you'll pay the mortgage every month until it's paid off. The deed of trust is actually what's holding the house as collateral for that mortgage. So uh, there's a lot of legal documentation involved in title, right? And so if anything contradicts the lender's ownership of the property with you, saying that the house is collateral, it prevents them from foreclosing on you. So they have no legal basis if you stop paying to actually go through the foreclosure process. So that title insurance protects them to be able to foreclose on you if you stop paying. So it's very important. That's why it's required because, you know, they don't want to lose their money. (laughs) And if the lender forecloses, they don't care if you get paid. They care that they get paid. Correct. Mm -hmm. So that's right. So if this is going to happen, you want insurance to protect you to get your equity back um, from any possible title defects. Yes, it does not protect you, the lender's title insurance. And many title defects are actually not serious issues, but they're fairly common ones, like the lien release you mentioned. I One of the more common ones I see is transposed numbers in the land records. Mm-hmm. So instead of um, 1950 Main Street, someone accidentally wrote 1905 Main Street, right? And then they miss a lien that's placed on the property because they transposed some numbers. Yeah, and so in Baltimore, let's talk about ground rent a little bit because that's probably one of the top questions I get is ground rent. Even in some of the more gentrified areas, there's still ground rent, a lot of properties, Fells Point, Canton. How does that complicate things at all? I will say that there was a statute passed by Maryland a few years ago that has made it easier. So like I've been doing this for six years, so I had to be in the industry pre that statute. So before that, and I'll explain what it is, but before that, if there was unregistered ground rent and you couldn't get in touch with the ground rent holder. Well, let's let's start at even oh, just level one on one. What is ground okay. rent, right? Because <laughs> ground rent is weird and it is peculiar. It's only in a few parts of the country. Baltimore heavily, little Chicago. parts of Baltimore, uh, little parts of Virginia, little... And they have it in Hawaii, but they call it something different. But tell us what is ground rent? So you don't technically own your land. You own any permanent fixtures on the land, so your house, but the land is owned by a third party. And the reason that came about was back in old days where we were a colony, England would allow people to purchase land 
or were given land. And then they would rent that out to others to build a house. So that person owns the house, but then someone else owns the land. And over time, it's been bought out. Like you can buy the land back from the ground rent holder. Um, but And it's kind of been phased out. And then I want to say early 2000s-ish residential property, you cannot issue new ground rent. You can still on a commercial land, but- Fairly common for, in commercial. Yeah. yeah, but residential, they did away with that. So you can't issue new ground rent anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's basically- So I buy a house, I'm paying $250,000 for a house in Canton and someone else technically owns the land. Jebediah. And H- it's very cheap. Yeah. yeah. It is very cheap though. It's like 50 bucks or 90 bucks a year. Like it's it is. not anything A lot crazy. of circumstances too. I mean, you have to send physical checks is how you pay it. You have find the address and you send physical checks twice. It's usually semi-annually it's paid, but there's a lot of times these checks are never getting cash because the person who owns it is dead or didn't pass it well, on. A lot to of times, family. right. They don't, a lot of times the ground rent holder has disappeared through time. Right. And mm-hmm. this is, where a lot of title issues come in with this. So if it's unregistered and we don't know who they are, or even if they decide to come up, there was a law passed about three or four years ago saying that if you don't register it through the government, which is through ESTAT, the State Department of Taxation, um, you don't owe anything to anyone. There's no legal liability on that owner mm-hmm. to pay the ground rent holder, even if they come up out of the woodworks and say that they owe money. In the past, you had used to have to escrow a certain amount of years from the seller to just in case someone popped up and they had like, I think three years to pop up and then it was fine. But we've eliminated that. So it made it easier. And let's say it's registered and we can't get in contact with that person, then we would need to go through the escrow route. Um, we can also help people redeem ground rent too. So, and and now, if I'm not mistaken, right, you can redeem the ground rent, which means you can purchase the land on any purchased. You have the right to no matter what. Correct. There's two options on the city's website, um, whether you've heard from the ground rent holder or not, and you have to pay a fee. I think it's like seventy five dollars to expedite the application through the city, and a title company or attorney can help you, or you can, if you really want to, do it by yourself. Um, and then you have to pay, it's, they have an equation on the sheet, but you have to pay a certain amount of years of the ground rent, annual ground rent, and then add an additional so many years to that. Um, it's usually and these are like not a couple, large sums of money. No, it's like no. usually like 900 or a thousand dollars or something like that. Um, my suggestion is um, if you plan on staying there for a long time, redeem it. But if you don't plan on owning this property for a very long time, the cost value, just like pay the $80 a year. Yeah. A lot of investors just don't bother redeeming it. It's usually, that's why you see places like Canton that has a high ownership population compared to the rest of the city. Almost None of those houses are ground rent. They're all fee simple because people bought them with the intent mm-hmm. of them being family homes. They redeemed the ground rent 10 years ago, whatever. Yeah. And, and then most of the city that is not high ownership population is all renters. They all usually have ground rents on them. Yeah, I always think it's worth it. Unless you're flipping the property, right? You only exactly. get on it for three or four months. I always think it's worth it to buy out the ground rent because it is such a, it's a, such a minor cost. I will say mm-hmm. too, and you guys probably could speak to this better, but I feel like buyers it's more ideal to see fee simple like they just like seeing 
fee simple. Unless they know what ground rent is and, and they're an investor, they already know what it is. But yeah, usually it's a freak out moment with buyers try yeah. to get it. Get like, out what do you mean I don't own the land? And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And they ask questions like, well, can I, can I put up string lights in the backyard? <laughs> it's like, no, you don't have to email this person or mail pigeon, like, you know, carrier pigeon them because God knows where they are and ask them if you can like add a parking pad, like you can do whatever improvements you want. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a scary thing to have to educate on. Yeah, it was, it was way more of a nightmare before they created the registration database yes. and before they gave everyone the automatic right to redeem their ground rent. Mm-hmm. Before that, it was much more of a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's everyone can redeem, right? It's not correct. They have an option for if you know your ground rent holder, if you've not contacted your ground rent holder, like they're dead or they're in a hole right. and you can't get in contact with them. Yeah, okay. there's so it's like a statute of limitations on them, you know, if they haven't. No, actually, it's just you now, if you haven't heard from them, you can just redeem it. You just pay the fee. Baltimore okay. approves it and they submit a new deed and record okay. it saying now it's fee simple. It's been redeemed. So that's after you buy the property. There's Correct. You cannot do this until you're an owner. Mm-hmm. Let's say we're in a transaction because I'm sure this has happened to you guys where for whatever reason, the listing agent or the seller didn't realize it was a leasehold ground rent. Mm-hmm. And then we find out during the title search, we pull it. It's also online too, like for free on Estat. So agents out there too, like if you just want to do a quick search online mm-hmm. and check what your seller is telling you. Yeah. Um, well, I think usually they don't know, right? Because it's it might be right a listing agent maybe from Howard County mm-hmm. or Anne Arundel True. County. They yeah. haven't listed in the city, and then they don't know what ground rent is. Yeah, they'll list it as fee simple, and then you'll peel back the layers, yeah. and it's not, but. But if you want to wait, it does take a little bit of time. As we know, Baltimore City takes a while to approve things. So if you're not in any rush, you can wait for the seller to redeem it, and then it'll be fee simple. Um, Or you can have the seller escrow money so that the buyer uses those funds to make it fee simple after closing. Yeah. And speaking of Baltimore, uh, I love Baltimore, but let's talk about water bills and holding water money in escrow. It's probably one of the top things that have gone wrong recently with selling and buying in Baltimore, these investment properties. We've had multiple huge water bills. Like $5,000 on a $100,000 property. These water bills are, it's the property managers aren't, aren't having the tenants pay them or they at least aren't communicating with the owner that they haven't been paid in years. Um, but so obviously you hold money in escrow for water for, for from so the seller. Anyone can pull up what the current water statement is online. Mm-hmm. It's not a special portal where you have a login. <laughs> like anyone can go on the city's website and look it up. So, I mean, owners out there, do your due diligence and yeah. check the website and just type in yeah. the address. Landlords, um, check. Get a make good sure your tenants manager. are paying the water bill. And um, make sure you have a property manager who's doing their job, who making sure the tenants are paying the water bill. Otherwise, you have a nasty little surprise coming well, out of your if proceeds. it gets large enough, you can go under tax sale in Baltimore for not paying your water bill, which is not fun. Yeah. Because then if it goes through the tax sale process and you're not aware of it, it gets bought out by an attorney and then you have to not only pay the tax sale amount, the fees, and also an attorney fee to release that. Plus all the interest accrued. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely, you know, go on the website and check every once in a while, maybe like a couple times a year Mm -hmm. wouldn't hurt to check it. Um, But that's what we do. So when we pull the records, it's the same process. You go on the website and check the water bill. So we'll see how much of an outstanding balance there is, make sure that's paid at closing. And then depending on like what your water bills usually are, um, monthly will hold like a hundred or 300. 
let's say it's been backed up for years, maybe we'll beef it up a little bit. Um, and then the next water bill that comes out, we just make sure the seller and buyer are aware to let us know, send mm-hmm. us the next water bill, and then we'll prorate that water What's bill. What's the uh, biggest water bill you've seen um, on a transaction? I think like 3000 Okay. Well, we get, no, because we get you beat. We, you did what? both of these settlements, right? Wait, they were, yeah. no, they were more than 3000 Yeah, they were yeah. over 5000 each. 5, really? Yeah. yeah. That's when it comes out of the attention on those. So like seller, if sellers, if you're listening to this, if this happens to you, usually I, like, I think in this case that that seller should seek some sort of compensation for the property manager. I mean, he could sue in civil court for damages. He'll spend more money on an attorney. That's the annoying amount, like uh, issue with 4,000, small claims and represent yourself. Got to be under 5,000. Yeah. Yeah, It's like the water bills. Whenever I hear about this happening to sellers, it's always like three or $4,000, which is an annoying amount of money, but it's just enough that you'd spend more money going to court about it. So you're like, I'll just pay it. But for something like $5,000, that's coming out of the seller's proceeds. So you could pay it out of pocket as a seller, but so this seller between two transactions lost about 11,000 in equity. Yeah. And I think he has a third property, right? That's got a also a five or $6,000 mm. water bill, which I'd be burnt. I'd be burnt about that. I'd be yeah. really mad. I mean, it's going to be. Yeah. That's frustrating. Okay. Yeah. So the water bills can get out of control, uh, thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, so Let's talk about, do you have any scary title stories? I definitely do. One that happened recently, actually. Um, so have you guys like are familiar with split closings where there's a title company on the seller and the buyer side? Yes, unfortunately. And then weirdly enough in Virginia, right? The Virginia um, Insurance Commission just said they're now Ill- illegal in Virginia. I actually spoke to the commissioner who issued that actually because I was curious about it because I still heard rumblings of split settlements there. We, I said, have one going on right now. <laughs> and he said that as long as the buyer side is okay with having a consultant do the seller side, then it's okay. Because it's not split. It's just the buyer's consult. Yeah, the buyer's title company has like fees on the CD or Ulta as consulting for the seller side, hmm. if that makes sense. So it's like a legal pass around, I guess. So if the buyer's title company is not okay with it, then like, it's not going to be a split settlement. So what's the, what, why do a split? I've never done one of those. What, why do The that? reasoning behind it is that sometimes there's a certain level of distrust between the parties. And so in my case, in this situation, the seller and the listing agent um, didn't really like the communication from the buyer's title company. It had been like weeks and they were not responding to their emails, phone calls. And then the buyer switched title companies to a title company they didn't know. Mm-hmm. And like it was better communication, but not great. So she's worked with me before. So she was like, I'm just going to have you do the seller side, just pull title, make sure there are no title issues and just help with the communication. Um, when you represent the seller, you are not the funding agent. So you don't pay anyone anything. Um, you're not endorsing or underwriting the sale. So we're not providing the title insurances. So really we're just kind of like a third party consultant, honestly, that's just pr- making sure the seller's interests are being protected and help with communication. And then we do their closing. So I went out and notarized his documents. But in this particular case, the title company, like communication was all right, but they had uh, forgotten to put like a form in the closing documents to put his seller proceeds information. So 
I'm sure you guys see those all the time. Like there's a form to put in their banking information for a wire and they sign it. So they didn't provide that. So I asked them, like, can I just send you his wiring instructions? They're like, that's fine. So I got his wiring instructions. I emailed them over to him. Everything was fine. Like my processor, the listing agent, we were all on the email. Everyone got them. And then um, days go by and the the agent gets an email from the seller saying he hasn't gotten his money. So we're all like, okay, that's strange. So I start emailing the title company. Hey, can you send me the wire confirmation? Like hours go by, they finally send it. And then the banking information doesn't match what I sent. Hmm. So I'm like, okay, did you guys just make a mistake, enter something wrong? Like why is the information not matching? And then they said that the seller had called them and like gave them new instructions. So I called him and I was like, did you reach out to the title company and give them new instructions? He was like, I've never spoken to them. I did not send anything. And so then I start getting anxiety about it. So I'm like emailing them over and over again, like, Hey, he didn't talk to you. You need to follow through and call the bank and find out what's going on. And so I'm getting silence now. So the next day happens. And then I start calling their office, trying to get in touch with anyone that can give me information. Because, like, I'm also having a frustrated seller, like, yelling at me about it, even yeah. though, like, I didn't send any money out. And um, I finally get in touch with the owner of the company. And she told me there was a scammer that had sent them a second set of instructions after mine and then called and pretended to be the seller. And that's who they sent the money to. This is fascinating because we warn our clients about scammers sending fake wiring instructions to them. I've never heard of them (laughs) doing it to the title company. So we say that too. Like that's why when I send the wiring instructions, I send them to the secure portal Mm -hmm. and then we double check on the phone. Um, I'll send them through text message and double check on the phone, like verbal. And everyone knows me. They know you guys are legitimate. So we're clearly none of us are scammers trying to give fake information. Um, But there's a due diligence in regards to a title company higher than a buyer, right? To call, confirm, call the bank, make sure that they're talking to people that they can confirm are legitimate sources, which this title company did not take those actions. Now we're in a very peculiar situation where the police are involved, the FBI is involved, the seller wants to sue them. They filed a claim with their insurance company to see if they can recruit money that way. Yeah. So uh, how much money was this? Do you want me to say you might throw up? Yeah. $589,000. So $589,000 due to the seller. Correct. And this title company, of which they're already very skeptical of because they hire you as consultants. Wires the, the money I want to hear to, what the name of the title company is after this. I don't think, uh, yeah, I don't think after, I can discuss this. Record, yeah, so that wire money is probably wired to Russia or oh, some it's other. in some offshore account yeah. we can't access. So now they're just at least trying to get the insurance company that they have to pay it out. Or they'll be liable personally for it. Yeah, I mean, it seems um, like a pretty straightforward E&O claim. Um, yeah, the, and they yeah. filed everything with their insurance. It just might take a while. And then on the legal end, you have to think about, well, what was this um, seller going to do with this money? Yeah. Because then he might sue them for damages in regards yeah. to, like, the fact that he's not able to pay off certain bills, what interest or, or, yeah, or like was, emotional a, a distress. or something, and he has yeah. another property he's under contract for, and now he has no money, and he's under a deadline to get the 1031 <laughs> yeah, so he might, closed. I don't, I don't know his personal situation, but he, you know, could probably sue for damages on top of what the money's owed to him. Oh my God. And it's America, so he can sue for, like, emotional damages, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a... 
that's definitely a title horror story. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> wow, a nice and nice and recent one too. Good. Yeah, this happened a week and a half ago. Oh my gosh, I'd be so mad. <laughs> but yeah, that's why we make sure like sellers will get upset. Like, why haven't I gotten my proceeds yet? And I'm like, well, there's a chain of events that need to occur mm-hmm. to ensure that we're sending it to the right entity and not just and this is scammer, why that chain right? of events is exactly and most most wires are instantaneous but sometimes the federal reserve is just backed up right mm-hmm. and a wire can take a little bit of time mm-hmm. i always get nervous when that happens but yes there is even there's time relativity even here on earth yeah montgomery county minutes are not the same as baltimore minutes <laughs> When I'm trying to get a piece of paperwork through a system. <laughs> so, especially with money, I can't imagine. You know, that wire probably went straight to, like, Baltimore City Police Department or something. Mm. I definitely have. Yeah, it was uh, a Wells Fargo <laughs> account that had just been open that day, is mm. what the bank had said. But this really brings up a great, great point here, because buyers and many times agents don't give much thought to who their title companies are. And, you know, sometimes I'm writing an offer and the listing agent says XYZ title. Um, it's a fake title company. I'm not actually naming XYZ title. It's the preferred title company. And I'm like, I don't want to close with them because that title company has lost my deed before or mm-hmm. lost a lien release. Or um, even just the response, the responsiveness um, is huge. You know, I already said Morgan answers emails, phone calls, whatever everyone at Legacy does. This isn't a Legacy uh, fan fan account, but <laughs> like seriously, I've had experiences with title companies as an agent where they're just not responsive at all. And I'm not exactly a whiz when it comes to title, so I need to have someone that can answer the questions I can't answer, especially in Baltimore. And yeah, I mean, if you think about what's the worst thing a title company can do, they could wire your hundreds of thousands of dollars out of the country <laughs> yeah. to scammers. Um, yeah. That's a pretty What's bad one. What's the worst that can happen? That yeah. was the first time I've ever, like I, you hear about it, the rumblings in real estate of these things happening, but that's the first time it was like, oh, wow, it's someone I know that's going through this right now. Yeah, I've seen some buyers almost get caught in that in the wire fraud scheme, and but that, I've never seen that title company get caught in it. Well, uh, usually because this is what we do. Yeah. You have protocols have, to follow. Oh, yeah. new wiring instructions? Let me confirm these. Yeah. Or even like original ones. That's why we prefer at closing to get a voided check or you fill or the seller fills out because I've confirmed their ID. I know they're the seller. I'm getting instructions directly from the source. And that's like what actually our team said in this case, if we do another split closing with the seller mm-hmm. and we're doing the seller side, that we are just going to need to introduce them to the other title company and have them get the wiring instructions from the source directly. So we're not even like a liaison in it. Not that that affected this transaction. I think that even if they had still gotten another e- conflicting email, they might have maybe done the same thing. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's that's why we have that paperwork at closing because it just ensures it came directly from the correct party. Mm-hmm. Any other uh, interesting? Uh, um, another one that happened recently as well, and this one was in DC. But you know, parking spaces can be real property. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a new construction. They're buying a condo, and I don't find out until after settlement that there was an addendum floating around adding a parking space. Oh, that that's an important part because that's yeah. probably thirty thousand dollars for the space. Yeah, yeah it was. Um, 
it was an extra like 25k and they had a sales price addendum but they didn't have like the parking space one. Oh. so like i so knew they the increased sales, yeah. the, per, the per value price. but then yeah. they didn't convey the parking space yes and so it was like a miscommunication kind of thing like the listing agent thought the buyer's agent sent it to title. The buyer's agent thought that the listing agent sent it to title. And the lender was like, oh, I assumed you got it from the agents. And I feel like sometimes title were left because you guys say, you know, it's important, but sometimes people don't realize how important we are. And so the deed doesn't have the parking space conveyed on it. So he doesn't own this parking space. Luckily, we hadn't put it on record yet. And so my job now is to like find out if this parking space is attached to the property or if it's separate, mm -hmm. separate tax ID. And I was being told that it wasn't. And then I did a little research and it was. So it's a completely separate tax ID. So, you so do there's a separate different closing, separate everything. So luckily, because we hadn't put the deed on record and then the lender said they just needed a few documents re-signed, mm -hmm. we didn't have to do a separate closing. Okay. Um, so it was an easy fix on our end, but it was just something that could have been eliminated if there was better communication with title. Yeah, I'll never forget when I was first looking back in like 2019 for a condo in D.C. And I was like looking on Zillow. I was like, oh, I can get something in the city for $50,000 and then click on it. It's like a garage in Georgetown. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm in I'm buying this place like. Could do three percent down on fifty thousand. <laughs> what I think is interesting is sometimes we see um, the parking spaces for sale in DC, and they are not actually separately deeded. Mm -hmm. They are not mentioned in the limited common elements of the condo association. And I'm like, how is this being conveyed? So um, you can't convey it. That's the issue. So we were first concerned because we didn't see this parking space in the condo documents. And then luckily it was a separate entity and had a tax ID, but let's say it didn't, then that was an issue for the developer. And so anyone can use that spot. It's just free. Yeah. And sometimes I do see them selling the spot when it is not properly separated. Yeah. You cannot and they, sell the spot. They do it. And yeah. So someone paid for something they don't own. Yeah. Essentially. We see that. Huh. The condo docs would need to get amended. Like you would need some kind of amendment something fixed yeah it, there's always condo stuff i see with the title so another one i saw is um this property closed in dc i forget what neighborhood it was and the buyer believed that the roof deck was common for the whole association when mm. in fact it was not it was belonged to the unit above above them um and so they thought they bought this you know and i remember looking at the condo docs this is not a transaction i was involved in i was just consulted later on on it and it's like yeah it says in tiny common print <laughs> roof deck is for the exclusive use of this um you know unit yeah. a or whatever and so unit b doesn't get it but unit b thought that that's how, what they were purchasing well how would how would they condo not docs that's no, another thing it's like when people buy a house the due, part of the contingencies and due diligence is that you need to read them you have a certain period to read them yeah. and then you move on. People look at the, all they look at is the pets, the parking and the rental information. They yeah. ignore everything else. Especially like people we work with, all they look for is like, can I Airbnb this joint mm. or yeah. should I not buy it at all? <laughs> but yeah. There's like so many other things, co-ops are even crazy. But whether you have access to the roof decks, a really important element of that process. That happened to one of my friends. So like 
it was like my friend's boyfriend who was buying a condo while they were like off. So I wasn't involved in the transaction and they got back together and then they started consulting me because they had all these questions that no one could answer. And it was still like, it was a weird situation where like part of the development was being sold and part of it, you know, was still kind of like under construction, still getting permits and things approved. Like they didn't even have the occupancy, like, uh, letter. Oh, the CFO, yeah. yeah, that wasn't even approved yet. Like they're in contract, but they still don't have that. So that was delaying contract. Like every month they're telling me, they're like, we still don't have the occupancy. We still don't have it. Um, but a big thing was that they amended the condo docs at first. They had access to the rooftop. And then all of a sudden, then it went to a different unit. Ooh. Yeah. They're, during their transaction. And apparently, because I asked them, I was like, well, did they ever disclose this to you? And he was like, I don't know. Let me ask my boyfriend. And they did. The boyfriend just didn't pay oh, attention. No. And just, it was one of those Are things. Are they off he, again now? <laughs> no, they're still together. <laughs> yeah. They're living in the condo right now. Yeah. But um, but yeah, like he had rented email. He had signed an addendum. He just didn't know what he was just signing like you had or paying job. attention. Just read, read the paperwork. Yeah, you got you to gotta read what you're signing. Yeah. Um, I ran into this title problem a few weeks ago in this purchase in Gaithersburg. Um, and this was an all-cash purchase. And for some reason, I was representing the buyer. And he, he chose not to get title insurance. Mm-hmm. And this is a property that was being conveyed with a meets and bounds um, deed, which means mm. uh, means that the description of the property says stuff like the property runs from the fence to this rock, right? And for some reason, he had had a previous copy of the deed and the current property of the deed. And the description of the property says... One deed said it ran from 15 feet from the fence, and the other one said it ran for 18 feet from the fence. Did he not get a survey done? He did not get a survey. Oh, that would have been my recommendation. Just save money. Like, he just wanted to save money. Just wanted to save money. Oh, don't Uh, do that. What was the purchase price of the house? It was like 300-ish. It was pretty pretty cheap. Um, Still not the cheapest. Literally, we're looking at two deeds, and we're like, this is literally a title defect right in front of you. Mm -hmm. This is why you get title insurance, and he still chose... Not to get title insurance. Well, his attorney fees when there's a dispute are going to be. I mean, you hope depressing. that there won't be one, but I mean, there probably will. If people are going to be disputing twelve feet versus eighteen feet or whatever. Well, it's only going to come up if someone Puts wants to move the fence line, right? Yeah. Um, if no one ever moves the fence line, it may never become an issue, but it could, right? Like someone like wants to put in their fence, and they're like, "Oh, I own this extra three feet that." Is on what you think is your land. I'm putting yeah. the fence on on the lot line. Mm-hmm. People care about that stuff. Even he, people he who should don't get a care survey about done just yeah. to and maybe get an amended. But we sat deed. there with the attorney. We're like, literally, look at the two deeds, two different numbers. We suggest you get the title insurance, mm-hmm. and he decided not to. Um, yeah, and it's just one of those things. I think buyers, especially, they don't understand what goes into closing costs. And then when they're reading the line items, they're like, oh, well, I can save $1,200 here. I can save $1,600 here. And these are all really important things. But they just see when they go into it, like 3%. Closing costs are expensive. Yeah. Um, It's the cost of doing business, in my opinion, to be able to purchase property and then not have an issue later on. It's like, that's why homeowner's insurance is required that's tangible. So it's far easier for a buyer to understand homeowner's insurance mm-hmm. and title is not. So yeah. because yeah. it's more aloof and like legal and abstract, they feel like, oh, I'm saving money. And uh, I've actually used title insurance myself. So I, I used to own a house right down the street from here. 
and I bought it. It had been a foreclosure when I bought it, right after all the robo signing foreclosures happened Definitely 15 years ago. Need to get title insurance um, if the house has been And I, I had title yeah. insurance, gratefully. But two, three, four years later, I went to go refinance the house, and the lender was like, hey, this foreclosure was done improperly. Um, there's a title problem here. And so we filed a title insurance claim, and they had to re-foreclose the house mm. five years later. Um, go through that whole process, um, and then we could refinance. But if I had not had title insurance, I would have had to pay all the legal costs associated with that. And there's no deductible. So, like, you didn't have to pay anything when you file a claim, which is unlike other insurances. So you just pay that one-time fee for the lifetime of the property, and you never have to pay any deductible when you file a claim. Yeah, it didn't cost me a dime, but had I not had it, I probably would have been out, I don't know, $10,000 in um, probably $10,000 right in legal fees to re-foreclose. Maybe more. I mean, $350 an hour for a real estate attorney Mm -hmm. times how many hours it takes to fix it. Well, so let's talk about LLCs, too, because we have a lot of clients that want to buy or transfer into an LLC. We had a deal a few weeks ago that was an LLC and the paperwork just wasn't done correctly or something. So... How important is it to get an attorney involved early in full well, formation? His, it was a trust, um, and they were conveying it from the ownership of the trust from one person to an LLC, and it was the legal wording that was incorrect. Like, it mm-hmm. didn't really convey that this new LLC is the, now the owner of the trust. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one was, like, an easy fix. His attorney just fixed the wording, and it was fine. Um, but I definitely think that if you're getting any kind of legal documentation, we have issues with people like having a proper, um, operational agreement. Like if you're a sole owner, it's pretty cut and dry. But once you start getting involved in Mm -hmm. trusts and several people in an LLC and things like that, consulting an attorney is really important. Mm -hmm. I had this client once they were, they bought and sold properties in an LLC and, um, at one of the closings, um, the title attorney calls me and is like, hey, do you know that this LLC that they have, they sent me the operating documents, is to run a restaurant business? Um, and that's all the LLC can operate as. And I was yeah. like, no. Called the client Son and they were like, oh, yeah, you said you used to own a restaurant under this LLC. But we just kept the LLC when we went to, you know, into real estate. So she had to amend all the documents and yep. do it correctly. But They'd probably closed five, six houses. That's the um, first time it got brought up. And the first time it got brought up. Oh, no. Because, again, we were using a good title company um, instead of sort of the hack places he had been using before that. And a lot of people don't know, especially investors, will say, oh, I'll buy this property under my name and then I'll switch it into an LLC later. You still have to pay transfer taxes every time you switch it like a property. It depends on the county and it depends if it's going from your name only to an LLC sole owner in your name. So there's ways around it. Okay. But like I'm dealing a situation right now where this guy is refinancing the loan and it's going from an, the opposite an LLC into his name. And there's three other people on the operating agreement. Mm-hmm. So you will have to pay transfer taxes for that. Um, but it's best to consult a title company or a real estate attorney before mm-hmm. you even buy a property. Another biggie is withholding tax in Maryland. So making sure that the entity, if you're an investor, the entity you're purchasing under is registered in Maryland. I've seen so many where it's registered in another state or you live in another state and it's in your name. And then you have to pay 8% withholding tax 
that closely. Yeah, people don't realize that. So if you're single property, Maryland, you live in Virginia or D.C., and you don't, and they withhold what? 8%, right? Mm-hmm. So $100,000 property, the state's taking 8%. You can file a tax return well, on later. On the proceeds. On the proceeds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not on the sales price. That would, whew, that would be, a, yeah. that's more than a commission. <laughs> I was going to say. Well, uh, very often it is more than a commission anyways. But uh, people don't think about that ahead of time. And there is a way to, um, there's a tax return form you can yes. file a certain amount of time before closing, right? So, so if you, once you go under contract, we'll have like a questionnaire that we send out to the seller and make sure we review all the documents. And if they're out of state or their entity is out of state, then we'll send them the exemption forms. And we'll explain like if you apply now, we can hear back from the Maryland comptroller in time before closing to know hey, we can be partial or fully exempt Mm -hmm. just because you're filing doesn't mean you're actually going to be fully or partially exempt. It depends Mm -hmm. on your taxes. And I'm not an accountant, so if you want further questions, talk to a More confusing field title. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, you can file that. That's fine. Or you can wait until next year when you file your taxes and try and recoup it. Now, another question we get a lot from investors is if the property is owned by the LLC, um, can I buy the LLC and avoid transfer taxes? And I know DC specifically taxes the LLC's transfer that owns real property. Um, is every every jurisdiction like that? or um, I haven't had that come up in Maryland, okay. um, but I'm assuming just knowing how Maryland works, they'll try and tax you I, any I would way think they so. can. So you're saying if you um, buy a portfolio? Or yeah, like- so in, it used to be, so in DC, an LLC owned would own a huge apartment building, say, mm-hmm. you know, big $30 million thing. And so people used to just sell the LLC that owned it instead of selling the, the real it's property. It's not the same people, right? These are completely like the... Right, you're selling it to a whole new individual. And so then DC... Yeah, no, I feel this like... this like I 40 check, years ago. DC was like, no, we have to tax this. You know, Maryland yeah. definitely so would then be DC started it. taxing the transfer of the LLC if it owned real property. Yeah. At the same transfer tax rate as the property was worth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I oh, 100%... Yeah. Like I can double check, but I'm yeah. pretty sure Maryland does because I've had situations where they'll they'll tax absolutely anything that they can. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't see why if they're not the same people, it's completely different like person operating, then you're you're going to have to pay taxes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have to pay taxes on actually it's funny Maryland. I have to pay real I have to pay personal property taxes on this table, on these cameras, on that sign. Maryland likes to get a cut of everything. You don't have to pay personal property tax on your car, though, yeah. which is nice. Virginia does. If it's business that. owned, you do. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, At least personal. in Baltimore, I know all my tax dollars are going to good, sensible things. Because <laughs> <laughs> the city of Baltimore is a wonderfully run. The Empire State. Yeah. The Windy City. <laughs> they still don't have AC in those schools, man. Ooh. But they want to build um, this, like theme park in Druid Hill Park. I saw the construction <laughs> and the big poster mm-hmm. the other day I was driving by. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, wow. They can have class them. there, I guess, outdoors yeah. in the bitter winter. <laughs> in the bleak midwinter. All right. So, Morgan, tell, uh, tell our listeners um, where they can find out more about you and Legacy Settlements. Um, so, you can always reach out on social media or cell phone email. So, my Instagram handle is M-R-K-L-A-R-E-I. Um, and then my cell phone number, 919-441-1848, or email, M-O-R-G-A-N-E, at legacy, F-O-R, 
title.com. And as Sarah said, I'm always available. You went in bold with the cell phone number. Oh, yeah, it's fine. She's married. Yeah. <laughs> and you definitely will defend me. She'll Muscle defend time, John's way, honor. Yeah. We had ourselves a time last weekend. Yeah, it's funny with your Instagram. I know that it's your initials, but I, I always read it as Mr. Yeah, yeah Mr. Clary. Yeah. Because that's my maiden name. Yeah, now I'm Mr. Barry yeah. with, my ma- with my married name. Anyways, we'll uh, listen in next week. And if you guys are looking to, if you need a good title company, Legacy is awesome. So reach out to Morgan. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the DC Real Estate Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to contact the hosts, reach out to them at info at dcrealestatepodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you access your podcasts. 